there's a, an adage that you have to ask a woman three times and you just have to show the man the application form, right? As somebody said, uh, you know, about the guy going into a, a bar and he's talking about stuff and the bartender says you should run for politics. So he thinks he's been asked, eh? Whereas a woman, it takes quite a bit of pressure. Women, I know you think you're a fraud. I know you think you don't know the answers to all the questions. I know you think you don't have any time to do this and now is just not the moment. And you know how I know that? Because every single woman says that whenever I have asked her to run. Like, it is an absolutely universal thing. And then you go and you ask men to run and they go, I can't believe it took you so long to think of me. That's the first thing that men say. So obvious, I'd be a great candidate. It's Kate Graham here. Welcome back to No Second Chances. Only 12 women in Canadian history have reached our peak political post as a first minister. In this podcast series, you'll hear directly from them about what it's like to rise and fall as a woman in Canadian politics. These 12 women know what our political system looks like from the top, but they all had to walk quite a journey to get there. In the last episode, Raising Leaders, we heard about the childhoods of the girls who would one day reach our most senior leadership roles. We learned that while these girls didn't have their sights set on politics necessarily, they did have a heightened awareness of the problems around them, and importantly, a sense of duty to actually do something about them. And for all of these women, at one point or another, this sense of duty fueled them to run for office. What inspired them to take that leap? Well, we're going to find out in this episode called Making a Run for It. So when the election rolled around, I was asked to run. I had friends who thought I should run. So I was asked. But, uh, you know, with lots of convincing, I decided to do it. I I was asked by uh, one of the Premier's advisors, would I be willing to run in the provincial election? And he said, look, I think you should run. If you ask women about where their journey to political office began you'll find that it often starts in the same place. Someone asked. You've probably heard the stats on this. Some studies have found that a man has to be asked just once before he'll seriously start considering the idea of running for office. For women, it's not once. It's not twice. It's seven times. This is Kim Campbell, the 19th Prime Minister of Canada. I had been asked a number of times to run in Vancouver Centre for the the progressive conservatives, and I kept saying, no, no, no. Well, I think what turned the no into the yes is the number of people that come after me, you know, to do it. That's Catherine Kalbeck, the former premier of Prince Edward Island. Researchers have also found that women are asked to run far less often, and that includes by party recruiters, by sitting elected officials, even by colleagues and family members. So you can see the predicament we're in. Not only are women asked to run less often, but it also takes more asks before they'll actually think about doing it, which leads to fewer women in politics, period. You know, you'd start a conversation and say, you know, have you ever considered running for political office? And I can tell you that I remember ever speaking to a man who ever said, no, I haven't. That's Kathy Dunderdale, former premier of Newfoundland and Labrador. Over the course of her political career, She's asked lots of people to run for office. And I would say to women, I would approach women and say, have you ever thought about, you know, running for elected office? Who, me? 
They never saw that that was a choice that was available to them or something to be seriously considered. That it would just automatically be in your array of uh, choices in your life. Former Premier of British Columbia, Christy Clark, said she's heard similar reactions. When I, I have asked hundreds, maybe a thousand people to run for office in my time, like I never stop asking. And when you ask a woman, she always, and this is 100% of the time, she will say some combination of, usually all of the above, well, you know, I mean, I just, I don't, I don't know all the policies, and what happens if I get into a debate and I don't know the answer to all the questions, and you know, I mean, I really just don't have time anyway, I'm so busy, maybe I'll do it another time. It is never ever the right time to run for politics. It is never the right time. There's always a reason not to do it. And women always find that reason and men never do. Men just go, okay, that's fun. Sounds like fun. Why is this? Why are women so hesitant to run? Women are told in a thousand different ways all their lives that they are less competent. So when they're confronted with the question, do you want to run for office? Their first instinct is to say, is to express that bias that's been hammered into them, which is, maybe I'm not ready, maybe I'm not competent, maybe I'm not good enough. There's a hesitation for women to put themselves out there. And uh, whether that comes with the upbringing or way back, uh, you know, because it used to be, I think, years and years ago that... that, uh, Men were looked on as the leaders and women sort of as their supporters. Many, many, many women just don't feel that they are able to do it. And I think that's partly because they haven't seen a lot of women in these roles. It's that whole see-it-to-be-it notion, as Kathleen Wynne, the former Premier of Ontario, tells us. They don't see themselves reflected. And, and it all seems a bit mysterious what you have to do to get there. But I think the reality of life as women live it often teaches you different lessons, gives you different kind of perspectives, sensibilities. You see some things that you know, may go unnoticed by somebody who doesn't have to ever uh, justify his right to participate. You know, there's just a different way you think of things when your right to be there hasn't always been accepted. And women don't just assume that they have the qualifications to do the job. Whereas men, more often than not, will assume that they have the, the quali- qualifications. Even if they don't, they will assume that they do. So I think that's a, that's a real difference between women and men. I've spent a lot of time convincing good women to run for office because they don't feel they have the, the right background when they are way more qualified than many of the men who uh, put their names up. So I think that's a societal thing. I don't think that's just politics. But, um, but it is one of the reasons that women hold back. So yeah, there's the societal thing, as Kathleen notes, a lack of confidence that stems from how girls are raised and leads women to feeling unqualified or unfit for the job. But we also know there are very concrete, practical reasons for women's hesitation to enter the political ring. Things like the campaign experience itself, knocking on doors, asking for money, public speaking, and a loss of personal privacy. And then there's that small matter of family. Certainly in this society, the women do most of the work. 
That's Nellie Cornier, former premier of the Northwest Territories. It's always been that way. And uh, women really uh, keep the families together. The men are important, but the, the women are the ones that keep the family together. And that's the way it always is. She's right. Even in 2019, women tend to take on more when it comes to family responsibilities. We have so much on our shoulders, it's true. Kids, husbands, who are sometimes like an extra kid. <laughs> the dog, you know, the dog's, you know, <laughs> lost his ability to control his own bowel and you got to clean it up. And, you know, your son, you just discovered that your son could be on the spectrum and, you know, your daughter's talking about, you know, watching videos, you know, with anorexia or something. And you just like, and you're the wife, you know, you're carrying all that burden. Oh, and great. Mom's got dementia. Who's looking after all that stuff? The woman is looking after all that stuff. But the challenge for women when it comes to family is more than just bearing the weight of household chores. It's also about that larger impact of running and what that will mean for their family. So I was always torn between, um, Yes, I want to have a full career, but if I'm going to have these three kids, I need to be able to do something that's going to allow me to look after these kids as well. Um, Recognizing that I had the privilege of middle class, of a middle class life to be able to, to think in that way. We made the decision that our, you know, as you see now, our home is right across the street from Sarah's school. You know, we've had the same family friends since the time she started school from even, you know, from the time that we got married. Um, You know, we had a life here and Glenn had a career here. And so we made the decision that I would commute and travel to where I needed to travel for my work, whether it was Edmonton or, I don't know, Fredericton or Fort McMurray or Lethbridge and that our base would be in in Calgary. And so that meant that everything at home stayed as much the same as it possibly could, and that's always been sort of our mantra in life, so that Sarah's view of the world was consistency. And the most important thing that she saw is that we were creating a constancy and a permanency and a certainty in her life. Uh, And from that, it's like, you know, the duck paddling under the water, right? The feet are going crazy, and they look completely calm up top. It's tough. It is tough. And I want to encourage people because we need good people now more than at any other time. Um, But you also have to say prepare yourself because it can be wicked. It can be really tough. It can be really tough on your family. Because Because it was so difficult for the people who loved me. You know, I talked to my children and, you know, my husband about um, what I wanted to do, and I was supported wholeheartedly in my choices. I talked to some degree about my extended family, but I certainly didn't go look for permission or... You know, and they encouraged and supported me. But the effect that it has on them pains me uh, to this day. Um, You know, I'm tough, and I knew that I could take it. You know, you get to, and you you shouldn't do this if you don't have a good sense of self. 
you really are stepping into an arena. There is no two ways about it. And I have enormous respect uh, for people who step into the arena. You know, it's the people who are up in the stands that you need to be worried about. Pat Duncan, former Premier of the Yukon, was confronted with this juggle in the very early days of her political career. Like most women, she had to weigh the options. It was suggested that Ken Taylor, who was the leader of the Liberal Party at that time, approach me. So I was asked by Ken, and I sat down with him. Actually, he uh, phoned me and said, could we go for lunch? And I said, well, you know, you're trying to save money for an election. So I made him lunch. He tells that story on occasion. And when he asked me to run, um, I thought about it. And my husband and I talked about it, and we were contemplating having a second child at that time. And I said, what happens if I get pregnant? He said, well, we'll figure it out. And lo and behold, (laughs) that's how events unfolded. That's right. She agreed to run as a candidate, and then she found out she was pregnant with her second child. So that by the time the election was called, I'd had the baby, I had our son, so it wasn't an issue. Until I got to one particular door in my riding. Bearing in mind, I'm postpartum, and this is like day 20-something of a 30-day campaign, and I'm just tired. And it was a very close-fought campaign as well. And I'm on this one road, and um, the, the Yukon Party campaigners had been going door to door in front of me well you know she just had that baby was the common refrain and um the because nothing's secret in the Yukon and and nor would we have wanted it to be um and I went to this door and this woman said to me well didn't you just have a baby and I stepped back and I just lost it is probably too strong a word but I stepped back and I said you know what If this was a man coming to your door, you wouldn't ask that question. Tony Panicat's wife had twins when he was running. And she stepped back and said, oh my, I am so sorry. I have been a lifelong feminist. I'm sorry I've asked you that question. I believe she voted for me. (laughs) Pat Duncan won that election, but her party didn't. She was one of only three Yukon Liberals to be elected. And the other two were a father and daughter. So you guessed it, as a newly elected member and a mom of a young child and a newborn, she became the leader of the party and later the premier. I asked her, in that moment when you were running with a newborn baby and a young child, did you ever think, you know, maybe this isn't the right time? I did not. You didn't. Okay. And I'll tell you why. I have since many times, many times, as only women who are moms who are so good at guilt can do, um, I just, for a long, long, long time, I have felt, oh man, should I have done that? Years later, she asked the same question to her son. Although I have had a conversation several times, like, do you think you suffered? And I get this, what are you talking about? Look, like, that's just what mom did. And that's just who mom is. Which, and I, when I used to have my moments of angst about it in the premier's office, um, I had a staffer who would say, you're teaching your son 
what women can do and what women are capable of. And this is an example you're setting for him. I went, okay, I'll take that. <laughs> it was of some comfort to me at the time, and it, and it still is. Pat Duncan isn't the only one who shared a story like this. Alison Redford, former Premier of Alberta, had her daughter in mind when she made the decision to run. I started to watch what was happening in my own province. And it was a terrible time in my province. And I just decided I had enough. I was now a mum. Sarah was uh, three years old. And I decided I was going to start to run. I knew that I didn't want my daughter growing up in a place like that. And I knew that if I had a shot at trying to stop that and try to change that, that I wanted to be part of that. The central point is that when women are thinking of running for office, Family considerations are a complicated but central part of the decision-making process. And for some, it's just too severe a risk. Running for office is one of the most visible and demanding job application processes going. You spend months vying for a job you really, really want, and you put yourself out there, and I mean really out there. Every door you knock is like its own job interview. And then when it's all over, you win or you lose, but it's on display for all to see. This fear of failure can be a big deterrent for many, but these women, they defied those odds. The thing is, is that um, I have a, a strong appetite for risk. I don't mind taking risks at all. So I thought, okay, why not? What, what, you know, what do I got to lose? I could lose, I guess. And then what would I do after that? I'll figure it out. And many of them did lose the first time around, but they persisted. I had decided that I was ready to run and not having any experience in party politics. I didn't have any connections to people who had run campaigns. We knew we were going to need money. We knew we were going to need people to knock on doors. And we knew we were going to need people to help us put literature together. And so we basically found those people in our immediate circle and um, launched our campaign. And we decided, well, here's the map. Here are all the houses. If I can get to knock on all these houses, then I've got a good chance at being elected. And we only lost by 72 votes. And only losing by 72 votes, it was painful. I mean, I remember the day after I was just in a sobbing mass on the floor because we'd worked so hard. And I never, I didn't know what to expect, you know. Um, but it don't, that only lasted a day. And what we realized was we'd come so close because we were running against a really strong incumbent. So the odds were stacked against me. But the fact that we got so close and the fact that I loved the exercise, I loved the permission that was granted by running for office, the permission to go up to a stranger's door, knock on the door and have a real conversation about their kids' lives, about education, about what they believed, about the kind of society we want to live in. I just loved it. And then there was Allison. I actually ran for a nomination for the Federal Conservative Party first, um, and I ran against Rob Anders and didn't win. I lost by about, I, it wasn't a big margin. People were surprised by how close it was, actually, especially him. He was really surprised. Again, persistence. But then I ran for the second one because I knew I wanted to do it. And I, and, and I wanted to do it because there were a lot of things going on in the economy in Alberta at the time that troubled me. I just watched the situation and felt like there was a role for someone to come in and try to bring people to the table to try to understand each other and see what was going on. It was important to me to kind of almost draw a line in the sand and say, we have to change this conversation because we're not talking about the right things anymore. 
and uh, from my perspective, and so I decided I wanted to run. We've talked in this episode about making a run for it. For women, and for men, the decision to run for office for the first time is a very big step. It's scary. It's intimidating. For most people, it's way outside their comfort zone. And we know that women tend to be more hesitant when it comes to taking this step. Sometimes it's about a lack of confidence, not feeling qualified enough or old enough or experienced enough. Sometimes it's because of other pressures, like family obligations, or worries about the impact it might have on partners or children. The fear of failure can also be a big deterrent, particularly because the process is so public. So why would you do it? Why dive in headfirst? The chance to really make a difference. You will make a difference. I tell young people, you know, if they want to make a difference, there's no better spot than to be in the legislature because you have that opportunity to improve the lives of so many people. you got to have something in you that makes you believe that you can make a difference. And when someone says to you, you can make a difference, it's like, yeah, I know I can make a difference. I heard that over and over and over again. It's about making a difference. For each of these women, they ran because there was something they wanted to change in the world around them. I mean, you wouldn't run if you didn't have strong ideas about how the world ought to be. Nellie Cornier put it this way. And always think about what you want to do. What do you want to accomplish? Don't think about, I want to be there. You start thinking, I want to be there. Then it's about you. It has nothing to do with you. It's got to do with your community and how your community is going to survive in the best way they can in a broader society and a bigger society. That's the bottom line. The decision to make a run for it at the end of the day comes down to a desire to accomplish something, to make a change, to benefit the people around you. And as we've heard in this episode, there's always a reason not to run, particularly for women. But if you want to make change, there's no more powerful way to do it than to step up and step in. And if we want to see more women in politics, well, to the ladies who are listening, we need you to run. I think sometimes it's a woman's own set of circumstances and the limitations she puts on herself. Um, it, sometimes it's, oh, I can't, so-and-so smarter than I. We tend to put other people, some, a good majority of women tend to put other people first. And it's... Um, not recognizing sometimes that, you know what, your skill set makes you every bit as qualified for this job as the next person. It's a matter of you having the self-confidence and making sure that the, the circumstances are right for you. I think that if we, can, if we can convince women to run and put their names on ballots, whether it's at the local level or whether it's a leadership race, we'll see more women stepping up. We'll see more women being successful, but we've got to get them there to uh, get their name on the ballot. Women like me have to work even harder to get more women to run. So I almost never ask men to run anymore because I know they'll find their way. But almost, I ask women to run all the time. Well, people come after me, kept coming after me, and saying, we'll support you. That's what did it. So that's, there's a big role for people to play that don't want to get into politics themselves, and that is to identify people they think would be good 
and encourage them to run and support them, work in their campaign. Mm -hmm. You know, I would never have had uh, 29 years in public life if that hadn't happened. The path to leadership for these 12 women started with someone asking. If you know a woman who would be great in politics, ask her. By doing so, you might just eliminate one of those barriers, and who knows, it might be the first step, like it was for these women, to an epic political journey ahead. We will continue to walk alongside our female leaders in their journey in and out of Canadian politics in the next episode called And So It Begins. We just heard what led each of these women to take the leap and make a run for it. Spoiler alert, at one point, they win. All of these women get elected to office. We're going to hear what life is like as a new female elected official in Canada. Trust me, you don't want to miss it. This chapter in the journey will come out on Monday, April the 8th. And as always, you can subscribe and learn more about this project at nosecondchances.ca. Coming up on No Second Chances. If women are going to be in public life, they somehow need to convey the idea that they are perfect. But I felt like I was banging my head against a closed door, you know. We are the betrayer, we are the cheater, we are the adulteress, we are the witch, we are, you know, all of those archetypes. Kathleen Wynne got it, Alice Redford got it, I got it, Hillary Clinton got it. Um, and, I'm, and it's not entirely unique to women, but it, it, it sticks with women. You know, what makes me sad is that I know this is the end of my political career. No Second Chances is a special project of Canada 2020, written and hosted by me, Kate Graham. It's produced by Sarah Turnbull and I, and recorded and edited by Aaron Reynolds. Our music is composed and performed by Meredith Yeyanos. Mira Ahmad is the Communications and Operations Manager at Canada 2020, which is led by Executive Director Alex Patterson. And this project would not be possible without the support of MasterCard. there, it's Sarah from the 2020 Network, brought to you by Interact. If you like what you heard today and want to find out more about what Canada 2020 is up to, add yourself to our mailing list. That's where we share the details of our upcoming events and initiatives. And if you haven't yet already, subscribe to the 2020 Network. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We've got four awesome shows suited to everyone's unique tastes. On quality content, host Alex Patterson chats with people shaping Canadian culture. Writers, politicians, comedians, musicians, and more. 2020 Live is your opportunity to sit in remotely to Canada 2020 events. We bring you the highlights from everything that goes down in our studio space. On Explain Like I'm Vibe, we invite guests in to break down really complex yet topical issues to host Aaron Reynolds. There's no fluff, no buzz terms, just the basics. And finally, Endthread, our Friday morning current affairs panel. Shannon Proudfoot of McLean's, David Reedley of the Canadian Press, and myself will be there each week to break down the headlines that have shaped the Canadian Poli conversation. So go now and subscribe. <laughs>